0: The Lutheran Ladies' Lounge podcast is made possible in part by a generous gift from Set Apart to Serve, the church work recruitment initiative of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Many church workers always knew they wanted to serve in Christ's church, but many pastors, teachers, and other full-time church workers left careers to pursue this life of service. If you or a friend have been praying and thinking about a second career as a church worker, the Set Apart to Serve team wants to help. Visit kfuo.org slash sas to learn more. Hey, ladies. So just a reminder, this is part two of our conversation on modesty. And if you haven't listened to part one yet, you might want to go back and listen to our previous episode where we covered a whole bunch of things on the discussion of modesty, including some church fathers, which was very interesting. So if you haven't listened to that yet, go back to our previous episode, listen to part one, and then this is part two of our conversation on modesty. Enjoy.
1: Back to our big question. What should I wear? Or, as Mary Cassian put it in her article on the Desiring God blog, which I really loved and will link to in the show notes, does God care what I wear? Oh boy. Now, I should first quickly mention here that this article, which we will be spending a little time with in this episode, is not from an LCMS writer. Desiring God is a conservative, reformed, evangelical blog, and I certainly wouldn't endorse all the theological content on it. However, I found this article in particular to be an interesting and insightful take on the subject, and one that I thought might serve as a useful jumping off point for our own conversation today. Women have wrestled with this issue so much, I almost regretted stepping into the waters because I'm like, there's so many women who have covered this and done it better than we could. We haven't done it here, so let's do it yeah. here. But in this article, Mary Cassian recalls, quote, bristling as a teenager when her parents made her return a pair of fluorescent pink flowered satin hot pants to the <laughs> store. This sounds like your story of the skirt only yeah. magnified. And they set limits on how short her shorts could go in terms of, like, they could not be more than five handbreadths above the knee. That's a very specific limit, right?
0: Okay. I mean, I had to pass the fingertip test. Like if I put my hand down next to my leg oh, and my yeah. shirt were shorter than that, couldn't wear them. Oh yeah. And don't bend that elbow.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: yep.
1: And this, this story of the satin hot pants feels familiar to me as a mother. And I got to say one reason we're having this conversation now is that I now have several years under my belt of raising adolescent daughters. And that is an extremely Eye-opening and clarifying experience that it helps you really think through these questions because you're not just doing it for you yeah. anymore. You are the mom who is responsible for telling little Aaron, "I'm sorry, you need to go change that skirt." <laughs> and I know that that wasn't easy for your mom. I would love to hear her version of that story. Mm, yeah, I, I bet she's got some details that you don't. But being <laughs> on the other side of that relationship definitely gives you a different perspective. But Cassian's article goes on to highlight some of the pitfalls of modesty culture. She mentions things, I, and you know, like the judginess that goes mm. on, the modesty police that in some churches sort of roam the fellowship hall, giving snide little comments to people that are meant as helpful advice. Mm. You know, but it, it brings to mind that there are so many pitfalls we face when we're talking about modesty within the Christian community. And Cassian inspired some, but the more I kept thinking, the longer my list of potential pitfalls got until I wasn't sure I wanted to do this episode anymore, but I was already committed. So here we go. So some of the pitfalls we face when talking about modesty, one, Phariseeism or legalism, Mm. because dress codes are all law. Mm -hmm. Yep. Except when they're not, we'll get to that later, but it is, it's very law based. And for a church that is sola grazia, Grace yeah. alone can be really hard to try and codify this. Yeah. Number two, 90s purity culture.
0: Boo. Purity I won't, culture ruined so many things, can I just say. <laughs> I
1: don't quite understand the hows and why, so I won't get into it. I just will say it is a sour memory in a lot of people who lived through it. Yes. And that the lens of that memory impacts this conversation. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. There is, of course, the gendered double standard, the fact that we are talking so much specifically about what women wear yeah, and not what men wear. I will tell you that in 18 years of being a parent, I don't think I've ever told my son that his shorts were too short. <laughs> of course, that's because he doesn't wear short shorts. So that made it easier. Yeah. But there is that question of why is it that women's stress is so much the focus of this conversation? You could ask the flip side is why is it that those teenage girls are so often pushing the boundaries? Yeah. Cause it goes on both sides. I can say that as a mother now. <laughs> mm-hmm. But yes, that that gender double standard, really hard to talk around it. The mixed messages. So the old testament readings that we read together. Talk about the Lord taking up Israel, not only washing and dressing her, but also putting jewelry on her, a nose ring, earrings, Mm. you know. Mm. And then you've got the apostles saying, not with gold or jewels or braided hair. You've got this mixed message. Are we supposed to be beautiful or not as women? Women's beauty is a good gift of God. Yeah. Are we supposed to? To flaunt it or hide it, where's that balance? Mm -hmm. That unfair burden, the question that we got into earlier. Mm -hmm. I am supposed to dress in a way that I will not make men who are not my husband desire me. Yep. And if they do desire me, it's my fault. Yep. And yet, Jesus says if a man looks at a woman lustfully, he has committed adultery with her. He places the burden of guilt on the one doing the lusting. And yet we still have this, what do you call it? Victim blaming. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we hesitate to in any way encourage our daughters and sisters to avoid dressing provocatively because we don't want to place the burden of guilt on them. Yep. Gets in the way of our conversation a bit. Mm hmm. Okay. This one I'm going to. Oh, wait one more before this one. (laughs) Ha <laughs> ha. Next, the opportunity for abuse. This one I don't struggle with as much, but I know people do. This sort of modern concept that all dress codes, if we will, for women are really just tools of patriarchal oppression. Yeah, Meant to keep women off those bicycles <laughs> and in the kitchen having babies and not doing anything that they can't do in their oppressive clothing. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that gets in the way. Now the catch twenty two. This is this is the specifically Lutheran pitfall because modesty, Emma, Erin, as you pointed out at the early part of the episode, modesty is a kind of vague word. Yeah, it can mean covering yourself up. It can also mean dressing in such a way as to not to call not to call attention to yourself. Now in our culture, speaking from experience here, if everyone else is wearing shorts and T shirts and you're wearing a long dress, you are going to draw attention to yourself. Mm. So are you being immodest? Oh, boy. It's a tough question. Okay, here's one that cracks me up. (laughs) Another thing that gets in the way of our conversations on this subject. False impressions. We don't want to engender false impressions in people. I am Lutheran. Lutherans traditionally do not dress any particular way. Unless you want to say somewhat modest and pretty boring, let's be honest. (laughs) There are many groups that do dress a particular way case in point, the church my mother grew up in. Mm -hmm. If I choose to dress more modestly than the average Lutheran, are people going to think that I'm something that I'm not? I have been asked in a convenience store, are you Amish? Wow. Granted, the guy who was doing the asking, I don't think I'd ever seen an Amish person in his life (laughs) because I was wearing a red dress at the time. (laughs) That's <laughs> so <laughs> I'd be a no. <laughs> I'd be a no. But you know, I'm I'm not Amish. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Amish theology I disagree with. I'm not Muslim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm not I'm not Orthodox Jewish. You know, any of these all all of these churches that make excessively modest attire key to the identity of those within their mm-hmm. fellowship. That's yeah. not me. And so if I choose to dress Like that, are people going to look at me and say, Oh, are you Jewish? Are you Amish? You know? Mm -hmm. So that's a, that's a, gets in the way of this conversation. Then there's the whole question of going beyond scripture. Mm -hmm. I don't, and that's why this whole episode is descriptive, Mm -hmm. not prescriptive, because scripture says pretty much what we've said it says in this episode. There are not any texts that I can think of that are hiding out there that say, okay, you read what Peter said about female modesty. Here's what that means in particular. Scripture says what it says. And we don't want to go too far beyond that. And then, of course, why are we talking about this at all? Shouldn't we just be talking about Jesus? Mm -hmm. Is this not all a distraction? So did I miss any pitfalls?
0: You got the ones I was going to talk about. So (laughs) I forgot about purity culture. That's a good one.
1: I know. I had forgotten about it, too. But then I had coffee with a friend today and I mentioned that I was preparing for this episode and she said, you're going to mention purity culture, right? And I was like, I wasn't, but I am now. (laughs)
0: Yeah, as a purity culture kid, that absolutely affected the way that I dressed or the way that people told me I should dress, which then I wanted to rebel against because I thought it was dumb. Yes. <laughs> oh. Fair point.
2: Yep. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The only other thing, its I don't know that it's really a pitfall. I'm not sure. Maybe it is. But i I feel like there's often an extra nuance uh not nuance an, an extra standard maybe it's a maybe it's another expectation for married women versus unmarried women oh when yeah. it comes yeah. to modesty so for example in the in the facebook posts that you referenced there were there were a few times where people were like my husband loves this and it's like it's okay to say that or to to take that approach if you're married is it Is it okay if you're not married as far as what you're, what you're wearing? Anyway, like there's a, there's an added complexity in that. And at this point in my life, I feel like I don't really struggle particularly with this area. Like I'm, I know what I'm. I feel confident in in how I choose to navigate fashion, we'll say <laughs> yeah. um, and yet at the same time, there are still times where i where I hear it, and I'm like,, ah. and it's not that I feel like i have I'm fighting against a boundary, and yet I'm still aware that there is there there is that added nuance, which I don't have the experience as a married woman, but I just do have the sense that there is a, there's a difference there.
0: Well, let's be honest, something that my husband thinks I look really good in and not actually be very modest to wear outside yes. of the house. That's <laughs> like, <it's, laughs> yes, it's not a good boundary. I don't think because <laughs> uh, like it's I'm, I'm glad my husband likes what I wear and he thinks that I look good in the clothing that I wear, but I also need to be modest for the people outside of Right. My so there <laughs> are
1: some things that he, that he likes mm-hmm. that I wear that I he, he says right out. And I want you to wear this just for me. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't want other people who are not your husband seeing you in quite this way. Mm-hmm. But you're right. There mm-hmm. is a component. And we saw that even in the Old Testament scriptures where Tamar was wearing a special garment that was for the yeah. unmarried yeah. daughters of the king right. that yeah. married women and unmarried women dressed differently. And at that time, unmarried daughters actually, I think, dressed probably more covered up. Yeah. Whereas throughout much of Western culture, unmarried women were given a little bit more laxity to sort of advertise their beauties that then once they married, okay, put that scarf on and cover up your chest, put that lace cap on and cover up your hair. You know, you're a married woman now.
2: These have been claimed. (laughs) (laughs) No (laughs) longer available.
1: (laughs) Yes. Yes. This is no no, no longer available. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate you bringing up that additional source of tension because some of what we're talking about may have a different tone if you're married versus if you're unmarried. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I want to go back to Mary Cassian's article. She got a great quote near the end. It seems to me the emphasis on the do's and don'ts of how women ought to dress misses a crucial point. Modesty has a lot more to do with the condition of our hearts than with the specifics of our wardrobes. What's more, modesty is not just applicable to women or women's clothing. It's also a trait that the Bible promotes for men. Hmm. She then looks at that passage looks really closely at that passage in 1 Timothy and shows the connection that often appears in in biblical language between the concept of modesty and the concept of reverence. Hmm. And she then goes on to propose three guiding questions when considering our clothing and appearance. Number one, is it becoming or unbecoming? And this is more than just, does it make me look hot or not? (laughs) <laughs> this is, you know, is it appropriate to who I am as a child of God, Yeah, both in all the great beauty that he has given me, but also in my acknowledgement that I don't belong to myself. I'm not available in the same way that I would be if I were not a Christian. Two, is it decent or indecent? I think this gets back to that notion of provocative provocativeness. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that you mentioned earlier, am I striving to stay within whatever the contextual norms are or am I pushing the boundaries? And then finally, number three, and I love this question, is it moderate or excessive? Mm. This gets back to Mm. the whole question of bling. Am I wearing dressing in such a way as to show off either my physical assets or my the assets of my jewelry box or, you know, some way, am I, am I dressing to show off? Yeah. And that is, that is a difficult one. But again, Christian Mm -hmm. humility says, well, maybe let's not do that as much. So they're good questions, but they're still very vague. And I think maybe that's the point (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. fashions do change around the world and throughout time. And I think the Lord knew that and didn't put burdens on us. I don't know. I'm, I'm speaking out of turn here. I don't, I don't know the answers to all this. Why is it that we are told to be modest and then not told exactly what that looks like in every context? Yeah. But I think taking the guiding principles from scripture can help us shape our own specific clothing choices in every age and in every context. So I'm going to before sharing my own I want to ask you do you have questions like Mary Cassian's questions that you ask yourself do you have guiding principles that govern how you dress
0: yourself do you have a personal dress code Yeah I I do Okay, okay. let's and hear this it. really this really happens when I'm shopping for clothes mm. like am I going to uh, am I going to add this garment to my wardrobe and I have to say that fashion was a weird thing for me until the pandemic when I didn't have to worry about what I was wearing for a year and a weird. half. Weird. I didn't know what I actually wanted to wear. And like I was wearing stuff that I thought would look nice for other people. Uh-huh. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like I have dressed for a long time. It was like, oh, well, this is maybe how I'm expected to dress. Like I was wearing You weren't like, owning nice cl- your fashion. I was not owning my fashion at all because I didn't really know what I wanted. I didn't know what I liked until pandemic when I basically lived for a year and a half in like shorts and t-shirts because nobody cared. And then I had to buy a whole new wardrobe (laughs) post-pandemic when we went back to work. And that's when I really solidified this Mm. because I I basically had a clean slate. I had nothing that fit me anymore because pandemic. And (laughs) I feel that. And I knew I didn't want to wear skirts every day like because until that point, I was wearing skirts every day. Mm -hmm. And when we went back to work, I was like, I'm not wearing Pants and comfortable shirts. Like, that's my new wardrobe for work. So when I went and shopped, there were, it was a whole different experience of like, what am I actually adding to my wardrobe? What do I want to wear? What is my fashion? So, I mean, I still have those just very basic guiding principles of like, does my underwear show? Is this too tight? <laughs> is it too revealing? Is it appropriate for communion? Like if it passes all I won't even like grab stuff off the shelf if it doesn't look like it's going to pass any of those tests. Cause that's like really the 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 lowest bar. Mm-hmm. But like as I'm trying stuff on, there's like my first rule is do I even do I love the garment? Like mm. is this something I actually like? Is it a pattern mm. I like? Is it a color I like? Do I need it in my wardrobe is this something I don't already have like if because if I don't like it there's no point in buying it so mm-hmm. I want I want to actually enjoy I feel clothing's a first article gift right I want right. to enjoy the stuff that I have so I'm not going to buy yeah. it if I don't like Which it It says, clothes, clothes and, shoes. and shoes it's right there <laughs> mm-hmm. so I don't want to be excessive in like buying clothes just to have a lot of clothes I want to buy the stuff that I will actually enjoy as mm-hmm. a gift Oh, I love that perspective. First article gifts—it's a first article gift, Mm -hmm. right there. So, do I enjoy it? If I don't enjoy it, put it back. If I do enjoy it, then does it flatter me in a way that isn't too much? So, does it Mm -hmm. does it look nice on my body in a way that is appropriate for work and for church and for where I'm going? And I know that that's a really vague rule, but like, if it's too tight, then Mm -hmm. even if I like it, not going to work. If it's too loose and just not flattering. Is that really the best use of my clothing? Probably not. And then will I wear it and can I wear it with other stuff? So this is like my efficiency or not being excessive kind of mindset. Like I could buy a lot of stuff. I could just keep adding things to my wardrobe, but do I need it? Is it practical with what I already have? Do I need 10 pairs of jeans? Probably not. Three is like probably plenty. Do I have a variety of colors that I can wear, that I can mix and match, especially since I wear like pants and shirts now instead of skirts? So there's there's a lot of practical stuff that goes into it too. I did inherit my grandma's love of shoes and jewelry. <laughs> so that's where I get into trouble with the whole like not being excessive thing. I have a lot of jewelry and I love having a lot of jewelry and a lot of shoes. It's... I. I blame it I blame it on the jeans because my niece is the same way she I pass on I pass on my jewelry to my niece and she's like oh did did auntie Sarah give me a necklace it's the cutest thing in the world so I keep all my old jewelry so I can give it to her so she can enjoy it too
1: oh that's so sweet that awesome. but i
0: that has also changed since pandemic too though I used to wear like really loud stuff and like huge necklaces and and all of these like big fancy earrings and things but that has also kind of toned down a bit because I've I've learned that I actually like the more practical stuff. Like there's mm. five or six necklaces that I just kind of rotate through that look nice with everything that I have. And these like huge leather earrings that people think. I get a lot of compliments on them because they look really cool. They're so comfortable.
2: Mm. So like
0: this comfort, this level of comfort of just like things that i know that look nice and i look like a respectable person <laughs> but it's also it's, there's this level of comfort and maybe that's just because i'm maturing and i'm not 16 anymore and so i want things that are comfortable yeah. but yeah Well, you i i
1: haven't really spent much time with you since the pandemic i remember the skirts and the and the big bold jewelry and i would love to love to have a fashion show now and see see where you're where you've
0: headed since yeah. then it's very it's It's still very, I love bold color. So I have a lot of bold colors, but I also have a lot of like grays and blacks that just go with everything. My favorite shirt, I have a favorite shirt right now. It's mustard, which I never thought it was a color I would like with like these pink and purple flowers on it and like these ruffly sleeves, but it's cotton and it's super comfy. And I'm like owning the front tuck in my jeans. It's it's beautiful. (laughs) I am a total front tuck fan of like Mm -hmm. shirts and jeans. It's great. I love it. That's awesome.
1: What about you, Erin? How do you go about answering the question every day? What do I wear?
2: So I know we've we've talked at different times that I do a lot of sewing. I don't sew all of my clothes, but I sew a lot of my clothes, and so it, it it's come. I, I wear what I like. It's, it's yeah. like I, to an extent, I'm like it's it's a hard question to answer. I don't really have rules as to how I pick that. I wear what I like. I'm I make what I, I make because I, I I have it because I like it, sort of with what Sarah was saying. I make it because I think I'm gonna like how it'll turn out. So I I do also have a, you know, I an appreciation for comfort and functionality. And those are those are fairly easily defined. Like you don't want something that's pinching at your waist all day long and things along those lines. You want to be able to do the activities that are needed for your daily life, which for my life is, is I mean, not very, there's not a lot of requirements as far as functionality goes, <laughs> with the, the type of work that I'm in. And so I don't, I don't have to be concerned about machinery or anything like mm. that. But what I'm, what I'm struck by, and this is, I mean, it is, this is part of what makes the whole topic tricky and so forth. But yeah, I want things that I also think I look good in. And mm-hmm. that's so subjective. And that changes based on what society's current norms are. Mm-hmm. And so we we say, I want it to be flattering. I want it to be becoming. Those are all based on what the current norms are. Yeah. We use an older word. We don't use it as much. So we can maybe feel like it's it's less tied to what the the current fashion standards are. But as far as what looks flattering, like that's because that's what we see around us. And we decide that my body looks flattered by this color. I look pretty because that's what our society says looks like this is how you look pretty. Yeah. And so when you align with that, then, oh, that's a flattering dress. It's tricky. And I'm not I'm not opposed to that, but I recognize it. And so I think through the years, especially since I started sewing my clothes and being able to really pay attention to fit, that is something that mm-hmm. like clothes that fit are comfortable clothes. <laughs> mm-hmm. That is that is a nice thing. And with that, I have become also more aware of like, well, to achieve the look of certain things, I'm like, I know what's, I know, I know what you're gonna need to do to make it look like that, and I'm like, that's not gonna be comfortable, so I'm not gonna, uh, pro, I'm not <laughs> gonna leave that one behind. <laughs> and so again, like I've just for my own personal sense of style, some of it is I'm like, I don't, I don't know, I'm not putting it into the best, the best words or anything, but there it's is hard to talk about. It, yeah. it is and there is absolutely though this idea of oh that's such a flattering dress what what are you saying with that that mm. that dress makes makes you look pretty that dress makes you yeah. look like a woman what what does that mean that dress is a, that's such a flattering outfit on you and i'm yeah. like i'm like oh thank you that's uh, <laughs> i love it mm-hmm. <laughs> what is that what does that mean and like some of this is tied into modesty in as far as like again what we define as what what is normal for beauty plays into what is modest therefore and what is immodest Mm -hmm. again we all we all sort of have a an idea in our head of what is immodest but there's a bit of a spectrum there too there is Um. there is yeah a bit there's a definite spectrum (laughs) yes i went
1: to walmart yesterday there's a definite Uh, spectrum there
0: (laughs) there is is. our back guys and i don't know how i feel about that what are crop tops Oh yeah, in a big way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I was taught never to show any belly ever. So and my brain's yeah. like blowing up over that one.
1: <laughs> so that's a that's a really great segue into my own dress code as you okay. if you yeah. if you will. I'm not gonna be wearing crop tops, but I'm not making a dress code just for me. Mm-hmm. I have the responsibility to help my young people navigate dress. And so it we do actually It wasn't until I started putting this episode together that I realized, oh, shoot, we do have a dress code. It's not all written down, but they all know if you ask my children, okay, what can I and can't I wear and get away with it and get out of the house? You know, no crop tops, no spaghetti straps, no extremely tight things, no cleavage. We like the fingertip short length rule. It actually works pretty well. and. If you're wearing a dress, if it's not knee length, you really ought to be wearing leggings. And if you're wearing leggings, you really ought to have either a long t-shirt or a tunic over top. You know, if you are going to church, you'd better not be trying to get out the door in your Radius t-shirt. You know that there's a certain reverence, especially for church things, for school events, you're going to follow the dress code. We have a dress code for our homeschool co-op and for our speech and debate club. They have to wear business casual for that one. That's fun. Mm. But yeah, we do. And I try to in my own dress keep all the rules I set for my kids. Like I don't want a double standard. But then I think since the pandemic and also since I know we're gonna talk about this in, in an upcoming episode at some point, but since the conversation in our country has been so eaten up by gender confusion. Mm. That that has shaped my perspective on what I wear. Yeah especially as I'm trying to model godly womanhood for my children. And so, yes, even though my kids are definitely not my girls, not my boy, my girls are definitely not required to wear skirts and dresses all the time. I wear them a lot, not all the time, but a lot because I want to normalize it in their eyes just as it was normalized for me and sort of connect them to the 6,000 years of history that came before the 20th century <laughs> of of women's fashion. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, that is, I do have a dress code and it's weird. I didn't think I did. <laughs> but it, when it comes down to it, you know, the biblical principles sort of have shaped the questions I ask myself, does it cover me up? Now, when I was a young woman with no cellulite, I didn't care about that question quite as much as I do now. Yeah. But yes, does it cover up parts of me that really probably ought to be covered up? That's a question. Two, is it pretty simple and unpretentious? I don't, I guess I'm I'm just not drawn to bling in the same way that you are, Sarah. (laughs) I wear, don't abide by this rule. (laughs) I wear a plain gold wedding band and a cross necklace. The cross necklace is on special occasions, by the way. But that's, you know, you talk about wearing what you like. That's what I like. It took me a long time to admit this, but I like earth tones. Mm -hmm. I I like, I like muted colors. I like simple prints and plain Mm -hmm. solid fabrics. Mm -hmm. Go for it. Yeah. And it's just, well, I mean, we've joked about that for years. If we were the Spice Girls, (laughs) Sarah would be Anxious Spice and I would be Beige Spice. yeah. So that's just that's just who I am. But the other question I've started to ask myself just in recent years that for a tomboy like me, when I was growing up, believe it or not, even with all of the skirts, that was more my mo. Is it feminine? Mm-hmm. I used to be afraid of asking myself that question, and now I'm finding my courage more and more to say I am a Christian woman. I want what I wear to reflect that identity really clearly. And then there's one other practical point, and that is, as you guys both mentioned, is it comfortable? Is Mm -hmm. it practical? Is it appropriate for the situation? Yep. Thanks to some of my teenage escapades, I do know what it is like to go swimming, to go running, and even to take up a sledgehammer and demolish a building all wearing a skirt. Hmm. I have this visceral memory of all those things. And it's so often we say, oh, I can't wear a skirt you. You totally can. And in many ways, they're quite practical and comfortable. For I mean, our foremothers wore them without too much complaint for mm-hmm. centuries, millennia. You know, yep. you can. But at the same time, I realize now, as I did not during those youthful escapades, that you can choose clothing that is appropriate to the situation and still be modest. Mm hmm. So now when I go swimming, I wear a swimsuit, although it's usually a one piece or a tankini that meets in the middle and has a skirt on it sometimes if I can. They've got some really cute swim dresses from Land's End this year. I really want them. Mm -hmm. When I go with my husband to a Navy ball, I wear a formal. Try to make sure it's elegant, but it's not going to be. It's going to be obviously a formal dress. When I hike, I wear jeans to keep off the briars and the ticks. When I run, I wear running pants. When we spoke, this is really interesting. When we spoke at the LWML convention this summer, one of the big things we had fun doing beforehand was figuring out our makeup situation. Because, mm-hmm. yep. Sarah, you and I don't usually wear makeup. Nope. But in that scenario, we decided all together that it was important to wear makeup so that with the stage lights, our expressions would be visible throughout the entire room. So, you and I both went out and bought some makeup. <laughs> That we had
0: not owned before. And you had a lot of fun with that, I remember. I did. And I found mascara I can actually wear that doesn't make my eyes itch. Thank you, Erin. That's wonderful. Thank Thank you, (laughs) Erin.
1: So yes, I do, you know, I I try to dress appropriately to the situation. And I like comfortable things. I like things that fit. I do like things that make me look pretty. Although if I get into the territory where I'm looking a little too pretty, like not like just... Elegant and tasteful and beautiful, but obviously kind of sexy. Not that that happens much anymore. Now that I'm in my forties, <laughs> but if ever it does, then I, you know, need to just take a good look in the mirror. Ask Ken, is this one that I wear just for you, or is this one for everyone? And try to be consistent so that when my kids gripe about what I ask them to wear or not to wear, at least I'm being consistent. Yeah, and trying to model the principles myself. But I try not to be harsh or cruel about it. Just like in this episode, I'm really trying not to be prescriptive. What I wear is what I wear. What you wear is what you wear. We're reading the same Bible. We're looking at the same scriptures and we're trying to apply them in our various scenarios. I'm a homeschool mom now. When I was in the office, I wore pants a lot too because the only time I ever got to exercise was going for walks on my lunch break. Mm. And let's face it, if you wear a skirt to walk miles in, you might chafe. So yeah, where we are in life, what, what our various callings are or vocations impact how we dress. So I, I don't want to prescribe to anyone except my own children. And that's my <laughs> God-given responsibility. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but even then, I want to leave room within those limits for them to express themselves mm-hmm. with their clothing, clothing choices. I like muted colors. My oldest daughter loves Big, bold pinks and purples and reds and mixing patterns, which yes. makes my eyes spin and go wonky. <laughs> but she always looks nice. And she, within herself, you know, is trying to model those biblical principles of modesty in her own
2: mm-hmm.
1: own creative way. Yes. So, because what we, when it comes down to it, the reason we keep asking this question Even though some people say, "Why do we keep asking this question?" is because what we wear does matter. Clothing is a human phenomenon, and what we choose to wear tells people things about who we are, what we want, what Mm -hmm. we value. Sarah, you value comfort now in a way that you did not before, or you (laughs) did, but you didn't admit. Uh It's is interesting. This I tried to track down the origins of the saying "clothes make the man." You've heard (laughs) that saying. Erasmus said it, but he was quoting Quintilius, some Roman guy who was quoting Homer, but it was also circulating around Mesopotamia. Like it goes oh. back, this idea wow. that the clothes we choose not only say who we are, but also help shape who we are. Mm-hmm. It's, mm-hmm. This idea has been circulating for millennia. And there does seem, going back to, to Genesis, there does seem to be something essential about modesty that's woven into the fabric of creation and the Christian life. We may say, oh, please don't tell a young woman or a young man, for that matter, how to dress in order to be modest. And yet, if you saw a young man or a young woman walking down the street naked, you would feel ashamed for them. Mm -hmm. And that's a natural God-given, that's another first article gift. (laughs) So there's a spectrum, but you know, it it is there. And I think it's really interesting that when you look at Revelation, we're not going back to the nakedness of the garden. Mm-hmm. You know, there are some people who say, oh, we should get over all this modesty talk and just get back to that innocence of humanity's youth when we could be naked and unashamed. Right. Like that that's the goal. But if you look at Revelation, That's not the end of the story. We're not going back to the nakedness of the garden. In Revelation 7, God's people are fully clothed. So that passage says, Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And it's not just human beings in heaven who are clothed in revelation 19 talks about christ and the angels then i saw heaven opened and behold a white horse the one sitting on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war his eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written which no one knows but himself he is clothed in a robe dipped in blood And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in white linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. So whatever we wear on earth, what we wear in heaven, don't have to worry about that. Mm. Like our clothes will be given to us and Mm -hmm. they will be perfect. Mm -hmm. But I think it's even though we see this glorious picture of Christ. Clothed in a robe dipped in blood, his head covered with many diadems. I think we can never have this conversation without recalling the most shameful incidents of public nakedness in all of human history. And that was Christ on the cross. That when he took on our shame and guilt in that moment, he didn't get to keep his clothes on. That he was stripped. In John 19, it says, When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, and also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So Christ on the cross for our salvation suffered complete shame and humiliation, including the shame of having his clothing stripped off of him. And he did it for us, just as God did for Adam and Eve. He has covered our nakedness with garments (laughs) like he did to Israel, as we read in Isaiah and Ezekiel. He has picked us up out of our shame and washed us by his grace in holy baptism and covered us over with the robe of righteousness. So in all of our conversations about modesty, we got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and recognize that all our earthly modesty is simply a reflection of the spiritual reality there, that he has taken away our shame and given us his righteousness and given us greater honor than we could ever deserve. So I want to end, but we can still chat a bit afterwards, but I I really want to end with what I would consider the ultimate answer to the question, what should I wear? And that's in the words of our baptism liturgy. Receive this white garment to show that you have been clothed with the robe of Christ's righteousness that covers all your sin. So shall you stand without fear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the inheritance prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That, I think, has got to be the last word in any conversation about modesty. No judgment, just a robe of righteousness
2: that covers
1: all our sin.
2: That is a wonderful way to wrap it up.
1: Yep. Okay. I didn't say it any better myself.
2: I know. Yeah.
1: Ah, this was a fun episode and also a hard episode. Yeah. And it may not be the end of the conversation. Who knows?
0: Yeah. I'm really glad we're talking about this. I was really excited to dig into this a little bit. And you always bring a whole bunch of like extra stuff to the table. So I was really happy you wanted to do this (laughs) because it's very interesting. And it's making me think about stuff too. like modesty as a mindset rather than only the stuff that you're actually wearing like that actually is really that's actually really helpful (laughs) because if it starts with your mindset and your identity as a child of God that actually makes stuff a lot easier I think yeah at least for me it does
1: well we all know how successful it is when you impose a dress code on a teenager that does not fit with their mindset yeah
0: so I'm really curious what people, what oh. our listeners will say with all of this conversation. So ladies, we'd love to know your thoughts about modesty. I'm sure you all have them, especially all you moms that have also had to go through this with your daughters.
1: Yeah. How do you choose what to wear? Yes. it's a good question. So, so ladies, ladies,
0: it is a big question. So ladies, we'd love to know your thoughts about this. You can share them with us in our Facebook group, the Lutheran Ladies Lounge. You can also leave some comments for us or message us on Instagram at Lutheran Ladies Lounge. You can also email us, LutheranLadies at KFUO.org. You can even sign up for our e-newsletter by sending us an email, or you can find out how to do that in the show notes for this episode. You can find all of our other episodes, including previous big questions at KFUO.org slash Lutheran Ladies Lounge or on the KFUO radio app or on your favorite podcasting app. You are listening to the Lutheran Ladies Lounge podcast. I'm Sarah.
1: I'm Erin. And I'm Rachel.
0: Views and opinions expressed on the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge podcast may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO Radio, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The Lutheran Ladies' Lounge is produced by KFUO Radio and available at kfuo.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and leave a review for us too. If you love the Lutheran Ladies' Lounge podcast, consider financially supporting our producer, KFUO Radio, so we can keep doing what we do. Find out how at kfuo.org slash give.